The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. This morning we're going to read from Psalm 34. Psalm 34 of David, when he changed behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried. And the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord Lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. So this morning, we begin a seven-week series in the book of Psalms. Sometimes it's said about the book of Psalms, the Psalms have a unique place in the Bible Because most of Scripture speaks to us, but in the Psalms, it speaks for us. The Psalms vocalize for us, give voice to our praise and worship and longings and even our laments. So it helps us articulate the wide range of emotions that we feel. So join me as we pray and ask the Lord for help before I open Psalm 34. Father in heaven, we ask that you would open our eyes to see wondrous things from this book, from this chapter, that you would incline our hearts to you and that you would satisfy us with your steadfast love this morning. Do this for your namesake and for your glory and for the exaltation of Christ and for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Over a year ago, in February of 2021, 
I lost my sense of taste and smell. You guys all know why, right? I won't say. I think this is a somewhat common side effect of getting COVID-19. And it was a very minor inconvenience in the grand scheme of things. And yet it had such a significant impact on my relationship with food. I used to eat a whole bowl of chipotle, you know, extra rice and and other things. And after I lost my sense of taste and smell, I'd eat one third and I would be done. There was just no more reason to eat because I was full at that point. Food became all duty and no delight. I know it means I overeat a lot when things taste good. (laughs) I lost five pounds. Don't worry, I gained it all back. Desserts were all texture, no sweetness. Eating went from high definition to black and white. My ability to taste was dulled and dead. And my guess is that for most of us, our taste buds are in working order. They're doing just fine. But the concern of Psalm 34 is not our physical taste buds, but our spiritual taste buds this morning. Perhaps our spiritual taste buds are dulled and dead this morning. Or I had a friend who got COVID and it wasn't just that he couldn't taste. It was the things that were normally sweet would taste bitter. And the things that normally would smell sweet would smell wretched. Perhaps that's some of us this morning. That God's commands, God's truth that would normally come across sweet and life-giving actually come across as bitter and wretched because of suffering or trials or trouble. So Psalm 34 is written for us this morning to cleanse our palates, to renew our taste buds so that we would experience God rightly. It's to enliven our spiritual abilities to enjoy God. So if you're one of the kids who's taking notes and you're supposed to write down the main point on your little handout, it's this. Psalm 34 is an invitation to taste and see that the Lord is good. We find that right in verse 8. Psalm 34, the main point of it, I think, is to invite all of us in to taste and see once again that the Lord is indeed good. And, and I think this is so helpful. Some psalms, you know, when the preacher is preaching it, you think, oh, that's good. And it's probably for those who are lamenting. It's a psalm of lament. And I'm not there right now, so I'm going to file that away for a future day. And yet Psalm 34, I think, is for everybody. Wherever you're at this morning, whether you're not trusting in Jesus or whether you've trusted him for 80 years, whether you're flying high or you're in the depths of despair, Psalm 34 is for you this morning. It's an invitation to the spiritually starved to gorge themselves on God once again. It's an invitation to the doubting to depend on God. It's an invitation to those wandering to come back and walk by faith. It's an invitation to those who are tempted by sin, to turn away and to trust in God. It's an invitation to those who are feeling fearful and anxious to fear God alone. It's an invitation to those in anguish to find assurance in God. And it's an invitation to the eager, those who are ready, who just can't wait to worship God, 
to deepen their enjoyment in him. So Psalm 34 is for every single one of us this morning, wherever you're at. Let me just give us the context of Psalm 34. If you look in your Bible, your paper Bible, you will notice that there's a footnote. In Psalm 34, like the number of the chapter, in my ESV Bible, it tells us with a little footnote that this psalm is an acrostic poem, meaning that each verse begins with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And then if you look at the text between the title, which is uninspired, and verse 1, you'll notice that this is one of several psalms that give us the situation in which it comes out of. And it says this, of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. So that refers to David's life that's recorded in 1 Samuel 21. So let me just summarize that really briefly because I think that helps us understand this psalm. So in that particular situation, King Saul... So Saul's the king at that point, and he wants to kill David. And David had this plan with Jonathan, and Jonathan would tell him how Saul feels about him, and he wants to kill him. So David is on the run. He's fearful. He's thinking, I got to get out of Israel. And so he goes to Nob, where the priest gives him bread, and he gives him Goliath's sword because he has no weapon, and he's on the hunt. He's being hunted. And so he's still afraid, and he's running, and he thinks, maybe I'll get out of Israel. So he goes to Gath, which is one of the main cities of the Philistines. And so here he goes, walks into one of the main cities of the Philistines with Goliath's sword on his belt. That's not good, because he killed Goliath in order to get his sword. And the people recognize him, and they say, that's the guy. The people used to sing about him, that he struck down his tens of thousands. And David is, "Uh uh-oh. They've recognized me. I'm in the hands of my enemies. They bring him before the king. And so what does he do? In his fear, he pretends to go insane. He pretends to be insane. He's biting the doorpost, you know, gnawing on the the wood, if you will. And, And spit is dribbling down his beard. And the king, King Achish, instead of killing him, releases him. And David escapes. Now, you might be thinking, why does it say his behavior before Abimelech in the little subscript, and in 1 Samuel 21, it's King Achish. Well, I think Abimelech is a title for Philistine kings, much like the Egyptians would use the term Pharaoh. So Psalm 34, as well as Psalm 56, are the songs, the the praise, the poems that emerge from that particular situation, what David has just experienced. And here we get our first lesson even before we jump into the text. Sometimes our trials, our sufferings, our hardships are so that we would be able to worship God more deeply and fully. The best psalms don't come out of an easy life. You know this. The most faithful testimonies don't come out of life has always been good. It's always been an upward trajectory. It's always been easy. The best testimonies, the most moving testimonies, the best psalms come out of deep hurt and brokenness where you're not sure if you're going to get all the way through. And you say, God has been faithful. God will be faithful. And that's what we see in Psalm 34. So though we can read Psalm 34 and it's easy to read, David paid a cost in order to write it for us. So, 
Psalm 34 is divided into two main sections, I think. Verses 1 to 10. And here we get David's invitation to come in, taste and see that God's good. And then we get the second part, verses 11 to 22, where David is instructing us to learn from him. So we get an invitation and then we get instruction. So look with me at verses 1 to 3. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. You can see and hear David's excitement coming out of the text. In the original Hebrew, there are no exclamation marks, but the translators decided we need exclamation marks here because David is excited. You can see his beaming smile, his unfiltered joy as he writes these words. David is delighting in God because he has tasted of his rescue. If you look back to 1 Samuel 21, was David full of faith and did exactly everything that was right? No. He was fearful, thought he was going to get killed. Let me pretend to be insane. And even in his failures, God is faithful. In verse 2, he says, Let the humble hear and be glad. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. What he's doing there is he's delighting, boasting, bragging about God. And then the word humble there could be translated afflicted or oppressed. It says that in some of the other translations. What he means there is that those who are feeling suffering, pain, hardship, they're going to rejoice with me because they've seen my testimony and we anticipate that they too will have a testimony of delighting in God. So David's joy is overflowing in these opening verses where he's trying to invite his listeners in. It's a little bit like this. If you taste your favorite meal and you're trying to describe it to a friend. So for me, it would be probably the perfect medium, rare ribeye, perfectly marbled, you know, maybe Wagyu beef or something. Uh, For those of you who don't know, it's okay. Uh, Perfect blend of fat and meat. I'm going too far down that. Um, The perfect seasoning, the perfect marbling, all of that, right? And, And my favorite thing to do after it comes off the grill It rests for five minutes so it can reabsorb its juices. I cut off a little slice and I get each of my kids to try it. That first bite, taste and see the goodness of God. That's what David is saying here. He says, cut off that little perfect piece and see how good God is. It's like standing before a mountain. You can't just help but say, do you see this? This is amazing. That's what David is doing here. It's like us Minnesotans. We love talking about the weather, right? And when we get a good day in the 70s, mid-70s, with a nice cool breeze, we say, look look at this beautiful day. Uh, Not a day goes by in Minnesota when we get good days. People say that. Why? Because we only get six of these days a year here, (laughs) right? But I tell my kids, you got to go outside. They only get six of them. You got to enjoy it. And that's what David is saying. Look at how good God has been to me. I've just been in the depths. I've just walked through the valley of the shadow of death. I thought I was going to die. I was on the run from King Saul. My my life is crumbling before me. And God has been faithful. So you can just see him bursting with excitement and joy. He's boasting in God. And, And here's our first application. 
This is why we gather together as the people of God. This is why it's not sufficient just to watch from home. So I'm worshiping over there, and I know that someone in front of me or to the side of me or behind me has just walked through deep trial, right? They've lost their spouse. They've got that cancer diagnosis. That They've gone through weeks and weeks of hardship. And then I see them lift their hand, and I see them sing. And what happens in my own heart? It expands to see that's the praiseworthiness, the the beauty, the treasure that is Christ. Because I see my neighbor worshiping God. And you just can't do that alone. You can't do that when you're watching from home. This is why we gather. And that's why David says, come, magnify the Lord with me. Because my joy is consummated when we're all doing it together. So, that's the first section. First three stanzas. David is trumpeting God's goodness there. His, his, he's inviting others to come in and worship with him so that his joy would be increased, maximized. Now look with me at verses four to seven. Here we get David's testimony. Now he's telling us why he's so excited, why he's worshiping, why he's overflowing in joy. Verse four says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. Now, just notice, verse 4 and verse 6 are both personal testimonies. When he says, this poor man cried, he's talking about himself. And then verse 5 and 7 are sort of the statements or the lessons that he takes from that. So, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. So that's what happened to me. And so now he teaches, and he says, those who look to him, not just me, but anyone who looks to him, are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. And then he goes back to testimony again. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. And then now he says, the angel of the Lord encamps encamps around those who fear him. Not just me, but everyone who trusts in him and delivers them. So David is saying, this is why I'm so excited, because God has delivered me. This isn't conceptual. This isn't in theory. I have tasted and I have seen, I have feasted on the goodness of God, and I want you to come in and taste of this reality. It's not theory. It's reality. When you go and buy something or when you go to a new restaurant, what do you look at? You look at reviews, right? And you want to see, does, does someone else like the food? Do they like the service? Do they like the ambiance? Did it live up to their expectations? And that's what David is doing for us. He's saying, five stars. This is worth it. This is worth giving your life to. God is indeed trustworthy and reliable in moments of my greatest despair. Notice the truths that come out in verse 5 and 7. Those who trust in God, who fear him, who look to him, will be delivered and will be radiant. And so I think this is our second application for us this morning. For those of us this morning, Psalm 34 is a hard psalm because you're not eager to jump in with David and lift your arms and worship because you've gone through seasons of suffering and you've got fresh hardships like unemployment or a cancer journey or parenting struggles or unwanted singleness or the unexpected death of a spouse, difficulty in marriage, a diminishing body, the disappointment that you feel, your circumstances are closing in on you. You don't know how to fix them. The diagnoses are unclear. And yet God 
is faithful. David tells us God is faithful. He was faithful to Daniel in the lion's den. He's faithful to David when he's running from Saul. And he will likewise be faithful to his people today. Notice with me in verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. What's that about? What, what, what do you think David's talking about there? The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. I think he's drawing an allusion to something that happened in the past with Elisha in Second Kings 6. The king of Syria sends a great army of chariots and horses by night and surrounds the city where Elisha is. This is the prophet of God. And they're totally surrounded and, and they think they're going to die. And Elisha's servant looks to Elisha and says, what are we going to do? We're screwed. Like, this is bad. And, and what does Elisha say? He says, this is Second Kings 6, do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prays. And he, God opens the eyes of his servant. And what does the servant see? He sees hundreds of thousands of flaming chariots surrounding them. He gave him a glimpse of the reality that is always true for God's people. When God says, I will protect and deliver my people. I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. We think, but sometimes it feels like I'm all alone, and yet there are unseen realities that take place. It's like 1 John 4, 4. Very similar to what Elisha says. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. One of the really encouraging things of this psalm is that God is for us. God invites you in to taste and see his goodness because his goodness is really good towards us. And so, look to him and tell of his greatness. We don't have often opportunities to share testimonies. We do it at baptisms. I'd love to see more testimonies where we just have people share of what God is doing, and we do that in small groups and in other places. But I think one of the things we need to recover is just where we tell of how God has been faithful. In the death of my spouse, God was all sufficient. That was not in theory. It's not just words in Scripture. That was true in my life. When I went through that cancer battle, God was sufficient. I think we need to have those words on our lips. This is why we go through hardship and trials, so that we might encourage someone else with the comfort that we have received. So let's, let, let's be good about that, brothers and sisters. Now, verses 8 to 10, we see this third stanza. We come now to the heart of David's invitation. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you, his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer and want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. David doesn't just want the polite applause of his listeners and audience. He wants them to come in and taste, to dip their finger into the honey, bring it back to their mouth and say, yes, that's right, it's sweet. 
Psalm 34 is, I think, David's best attempt to beckon and woo God's people to lean upon and rely upon the goodness of God. He's inviting us in to taste. And so the question for us, have we tasted? Have we seen? Are we leaning upon? Are we trusting God in all of our circumstances? When Stephanie and I used to live in San Diego, we used to go to this place called Extraordinary Desserts, and it lived up to its name. Uh, the, the head chef was named kind of top 10 in the country. She used to work at the James Beard House and had all these accolades and titles and recognition, and, and it was just over-the-top desserts, right? And I could try to describe the, the fresh fruits that they used and the fresh flowers. Every cake had a bunch of flowers on it, you know. Um, I don't think you were supposed to eat them. Uh, gold leaf, you know, premium chocolate, all the unique flavor combinations. I could try to describe all that for you. But the reality is, it wouldn't do it any justice. You have to try it for yourself. You got to fly out there and give it a try. And, and yet, with God, you don't, gotta, you don't have to go anywhere. You just have to trust in God and see if he's truly good, truly reliable, truly praiseworthy. Will he really see me through if I do the right thing at work? Will he really be faithful to rescue me if I don't compromise my values? Will he really give me words to say if I speak to someone who doesn't know Jesus and I'm shivering in my boots, I'm afraid, I don't think I have the words, but will he give me words in that moment? What we're to do is to trust to give him a try. And I think too many believers have too many truths about God and they know them only secondhand. My parents trust him, so that's why I trust him. I've heard sermons, I've read books, I've studied passages, but have you come, pulled up a chair, and feasted on the goodness of God? Following God is the pathway of joy and life and pleasure. Now, he mentions lions in verse 10. Why does he do that? Well, lions are apex predators. Nothing hunts them. They hunt everything else. And yet, you know, whenever you watch kind of Good Earth or whatever those documentaries are, they never show the lions getting the kill and eating. They always show them, oh, that one just got away. Uh, and, and, And we know lions go hungry sometimes. Even the king of the jungle, right? As powerful as they are, as many as they are, they don't always catch the antelope. And he's contrasting that with us. We're not uh, predators that have sharp teeth and real fast. And yet at the end of the day, he says, those who trust in the Lord, those who seek the Lord will lack no good thing. That's a stunning promise to make. We will not lack anything anything as we put our hope and trust in God. And so this first half is this this invitation, open invitation to everyone. Come on in, taste, and see that God is good. Now, we turn to the instruction to fear the Lord in verses 11 to 22, and he gives the condition of how you can experience this tasting and seeing and how you can experience God's goodness. He gives the condition So look with me at verse 11. He says, come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. So now David takes on sort of the 
the role of teacher and father, almost like the wisdom literature that we see in Proverbs, and he begins to teach. And these three stanzas, these three remaining stanzas, I think we get one primary lesson, is that the invitation to partake and experience God's goodness is received only by those who fear God. The condition for you to come and taste and see is an open invitation, but for all those only who fear and trust in God. In verse 12, he says, what, is, what man is there that desires life and loves many good days that he may see good? So rhetorical question. Everyone, everyone wants to see good. Everyone wants great life. And so he says, this is how you get it. Look with me at verses 13 and 14. This is the condition of how you get good life and many days and seeing good. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So these verses, 13 and 14, can be summarized as walk rightly before the Lord your God because you fear him. Walk rightly before the Lord your God because you fear him. And the perfect example of this would be King David himself. Remember when King Saul is trying to kill David? And what does David do when he has a chance to kill Saul? Does he take it? No. Remember, Saul's in the cave and his generals are like, here's our chance. He's relieving himself. Let's go get him. And David says, no, 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 don't we dare stretch out our hand and touch the Lord's anointed. Or when he says, I want that water jug. And his mighty men go all the way down and they cut off a piece of his robe and take the water jug, but, but they don't kill him. When he could have, what does he say? He says, I dare not lift my hand against God's anointed king. David steadfastly did what was right, even when it cost him. Why? Because he feared God. He was trusting in God. And that's what we need to recover this morning. Everyone wants the first half of this psalm. Everyone wants to come and taste and see and receive God's goodness. They want his smiling face upon them. Everyone wants that. Even unbelievers, they would say, yeah, of course God loves me. I'm so darn lovable. And, and, and the reality is only those who fear God will be on the receiving end of that love. And this is countercultural in our world today. We don't like to submit. You know, we, get, we see those little bumper stickers. Don't tread on me. We like to do what we want, make our own decisions. And yet, David is telling us the pathway to goodness and life is submitting yourself, fearing God, replacing the fear of the world with the awe of the Almighty God. So that's the secret to life, to live rightly before him and to fear God alone. This invitation to taste and see God's goodness is an invitation to come submit to God and make him your Lord and Savior. And so this morning, you want more of God's goodness in your life? Steadfastly fear him, revere him, follow him, trust him, and don't depart. And he will be faithful. He will be good. We often see this. People want all the blessings that God can give, and they want none of the hardships. They want none of the obedience. They want to do things their own way. And yet that own way leads to destruction. I remember doing the premarital counseling of two unbelievers. 
and I had them uh, read Christian books. I, I shared the gospel with them multiple times. I asked them to read the gospel of Mark. They were both unbelievers. They wanted to be married, and so I, I took them through premarital counseling. And at the end of that, after I'd shared the gospel multiple times, I asked them, what keeps you from surrendering and following Jesus as Lord? Because throughout that, they were like, oh, this Jesus guy, he's amazing. We want to build the foundation of our marriage on, uh, on his sacrificial love, that we would have that for each other. Like, whoa, that, that's, that's good to hear. And yet, they weren't willing to ultimately submit to Jesus. And I said, what keeps you? And they said, we've counted the cost, and it's just too high. We don't want to follow him with our lives. It was really honest. It was good for them to see. It was good for me to see, and it was sad. And so what Psalm 34 puts before us is, yes, come and taste and see, but it comes with a condition. You have to be all in and submit to Jesus as Lord and Savior to relinquish all control to God, and he will see you through. He will be faithful through the ups and downs of life. And and so God's commands are not burdensome. It's it's easy in our kind of Christian day and age where we we say, well, it's all about Jesus. It's not about religion and rules and all those regulations. And, And yet God's commands are not burdensome. We ought not pit Jesus against his very rules and regulations and commands and what he calls us to. Those are for our good so that we would have life. Now, the final two stanzas, I got to move more quickly. Verse 15 and 18, we see this continued teaching, and he's answering the question, why should you fear God? Because the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his face is against those who do evil. When the righteous cry for help, God hears them and delivers them, and the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And so God is for those who walk righteously. He's against those who walk wickedly. And so the question for us this morning is, are we rightly fearing God and walking righteously before him? Have we confessed and repented and come to Jesus for forgiveness and cleansing? Verse 18 is such a comforting Verse, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And this reveals something for many of us. Your present physical and emotional circumstances is not the barometer for how much God loves you. Your spiritual and emotional and physical circumstances is not the barometer of how much God loves you. Yes, you're, you may be brokenhearted. You may be crushed in spirit. And yet the Lord is near to you. And he saves the crushed in spirit. He will mend your broken heart and revive your spirit. Don't despair. Keep looking to him. And then we come to the final stanza, verses 19 to 22. He, he's continuing to teach. David has on his teacher hat and he says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous but the Lord delivers him out of them all. So the righteous, life isn't just easy and smooth. There are afflictions for the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, but those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. 
So this is a sobering statement. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, and yet the Lord delivers his children out of them all. And, and if we're listening carefully, my guess is an objection would come up at this point. And we would say, well, we can look out in the world and maybe even in our own lives. And we see Christians who feel shame, who feel ashamed, who are living in poverty. It doesn't seem like they have no lack, that are crying out for help, who are experiencing severe affliction that has not lifted. And so we say, is Psalm 34 true? Is it really true? Because I can tell from experience and just the suffering in the world that, that there's a tension here. Often things look dire, even for believers in our world. Just think about Christians in some of these countries, Ukraine and Afghanistan and Iran and Russia and China. Just even recently, I heard about the, a, a, a family out in Hudson, Wisconsin. He, was a past, he is a pastor out there, and they were vacationing in Nebraska. You might have read about this in the news, and the hotel roof... Uh, Hotel pool roof collapsed and killed their 10-year-old son. This was just this past week. And and that community is saying, where's our deliverance? Why that? Why that level of brokenness and hardship? What about the promises of Psalm 34? And this leads us to where we need to go, which is the cross of Christ. Jesus was abandoned. Jesus' body was literally crushed in the gravest of troubles. And it seemed like God's face was against him. He was mocked and scorned and rejected and openly shamed. And he was crucified on the cross. Died. Buried. And yet, was Psalm 34 true of Jesus? It was. It was. He raised him from the dead. He vindicated him. He saved him. He delivered him. God was true to the righteous sufferer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And not one of his bones was broken. And in John 19, verse 36, the Gospel of John writer says, This had to take place where Jesus' bones wouldn't be broken. That's why they pierced his side instead. Everyone else had their bones broken, but not Jesus, so that it might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. It would to fulfill Psalm 34, that Jesus is the righteous sufferer, the Messiah. This was to fulfill Numbers 9, 12, that states that the Passover lamb is not to have any broken bones. And that was to point forward so that when we come to see Jesus, we would realize that he alone is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus' bones remained intact so that even in death, we would recognize that he would rise again and that he's been vindicated and God was true to his word. So Jesus was delivered out of affliction, even death. And all those in Christ will likewise be delivered. So Psalm 34 this morning is an invitation to all of us to come, taste, and see that the Lord is good. Do you want to walk in the pathways of righteousness and good? Then fear God and come in and taste. He's 
dependable. He's trustworthy. He's good. Don't stand far off. Don't starve to death when a feast is being laid out before you. Psalm 34 is David's best attempt. Look how good God has been in my life. I want all of you to come and partake in what God is. All of the goodness that God is for us. And so, will we magnify the Lord and exalt in his name together this morning? Will we taste and see that the Lord is good? Will we fear the Lord knowing that those who fear him have no lack? So come, let your spiritual taste buds be enlivened by the Spirit. One of the things we prayed for in the prayer room prior to coming out here this morning is that the joy that you experienced, if you're a believer, the joy that you experienced when you first came to faith. You remember that? The, the, the sense of, I believe these things. The, the joy you felt in that moment. The evangelistic zeal that you had that first time. That God would renew that for each and every single one of us. So that we would feel and know that reality afresh and again so that we would indeed come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're at work by the power of your Spirit in our hearts and minds, and we pray that as you have laid out the food for our souls, that we would partake, that we would eat, that we would taste and see of your goodness. And Father, for those who are not yet trusting in you, we pray that they would be wooed and beckoned by your love and goodness to come into your kingdom so that they would taste and see that you are indeed trustworthy and good. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720-13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.